0: So today we're finishing up a series called Classic, and we've been using classic rock songs as a springboard to talk about what Jesus said about being a disciple and handling money. So we want to welcome those of you who are brand new. We sing Queen every week. We just want to let you know that. We We want to welcome, say hello to you joining us online. This week was an interesting week. It was a travel week for a good part of our staff. Four of us went to different Christian colleges around the country to recruit interns. Melissa and Alex from our children's ministry staff went to Ozark Christian College. Dan and I went to Kentucky Christian University. It was fun. I had an opportunity to speak in their chapel and uh, talked about how to pick someone to marry. Uh, something that uh, no one ever talks about, but the Bible is very clear about, and, and how, to evolve, uh, how to avoid the pitfalls. The funny thing... Uh, For a better part of 20 years I didn't travel at all And now, about once a month Sometimes twice a month on my days off I will go speak at conferences and churches And now that I'm traveling again On a regular basis I am in awe Of those of you who are road warriors In fact, I've seen a number of you At the airport Where we'll bump into each other And you're like, wait a minute Don't you work like a half a day a week? Yeah, okay and, uh, uh, but I tell you what, those of you who travel a lot, you have your system down, don't you? You have your clothes and your bag and your app and your path and your parking and you beeline it to where you're going and you got your TSA pre-check and you're ready, ready to go. And it's actually kind of scary getting in front of you, right? You have, you have a whole system. Now, when I think of people who are multitasking with a Bluetooth in their ear and their laptop open and trying to find the best possible place to put a 1000 or $10,000 or 100000 or $500,000, I think of this guy in this parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. I want to look at it, but I just want to forewarn you. It's, it has uh, befuddled. Is befuddled a word? Yes. Befuddled. It is, I have never said befuddled. It is... It is a befuddling passage, okay, and uh, because people don't know how to correctly interpret it. So we're going to make a decision on how we're supposed to interpret this passage, and you'll see what I mean in a second. Let's go ahead and let's look at it. Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 1 says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, we talked about a few weeks ago, for those of you who are brand new Jesus lived in an area called Lower Galilee. Two percent of the population, roughly, were in the upper echelons of the society, and they owned big estates. Do you know anybody that owns a huge estate or multiple homes around the country? The wealthy that were in Jesus' time, they would hire people to manage their money and their estates, essentially their whole business, kind of the way we think of Hollywood celebrities hiring someone, essentially, to manage everything that they have. So Jesus tells this story about this guy who's so wealthy and has so much going on that he hires a guy to manage his stuff, but then he realizes he's wasting his possessions, so he wants to can the guy. So it says in verse 2, so he called him, and says, called, called him in and said, what is this that I hear about you? People are coming to me and saying that you're wasting all of my stuff. Give an account for your, manager, for your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, oh man, I'm in trouble. I'm about to lose a very, very cherry job here. I'm about to get fired. What shall I do now? My master has taken away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. In other words, all the way down in the, in the socioeconomic ladder, he, do, he realizes, oh my gosh, I have to secure a livelihood for myself. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he comes up with this idea. So he called in every single person that owned his, his rich boss money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, quick, quick, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Let's cut it in half. And then he winked at him. He said, you know what I'm asking you to do, right? He was like, yeah, I get what you're doing. Now, we don't pay people in olives today. But in an agrarian society like Jesus, we would. Olive oil was used for everything. They didn't have butter back then. So you cooked with it. You put it on your face it was used for a lot of things. It was a very, very important commodity. This is a picture of an olive press. Those of you who like olive oil to, to eat with, extra virgin olive oil is the first press of an olive. In other words, you have an, they would put olives in the middle of this, and that big stone, essentially, a donkey would go around and crush the olives. The very first time it would go around the stone it would be the first press and it would give you your extra virgin olive oil. The kind of stuff that you're going to get at the dollar store, seven gallons for a dollar, that's what happens after that wheel has been run around there about 20 times and it's just squeezing the gross stuff in there and they're mixing it with water. Now, one olive tree would produce 20 gallons of oil. And so this guy owed 900, which means we're talking about the crop from 45 olive trees that's a substantial amount of money and so the estate manager took the promissory note looked at him and said listen it's between me and you but you know what I'm doing right cut it in half and he gave it back to him he said I'll see you later then he asked the second guy that owned him money how much do you owe a thousand bushels of weed he replied he told him take your bill And make it 800. I'm going to cut 200 off of it. You know what I'm asking you to do, right? Yeah. Okay. I'll make it 800. New Testament scholar John Kloppenberg argues that the amount of land that it would have taken to grow this amount of wheat would have been 20 times the average family lot plot of land that they would have grown wheat on. That's a lot of money. But the only person who was more wise than the estate manager was the owner himself. And so he realized that someone was cooking his books. And so he brought his money manager in, called him on the carpet. And what do you think he did when he called him on the carpet? What did he do to the guy who was cooking his books? What you got? Fire him? Have him thrown in jail? Have him killed? Threaten him? What did he do? Jesus said, the master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. He brought him in, and as he was coming in, thinking that there's going to be someone behind the door ready to whack him, the, 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 the rich boss looked at him and said, well done. That was brilliant. Well done. Who would have come up with that idea? That was a genius. Genius move. And then Jesus said, The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's my question. What the heck does that mean? I want you to lean to the person next to you, okay? And I want you to look at this verse. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Very quickly, I'm gonna give you 20 seconds. I want you to come up with what you think that means. Ready, go. All right. So let's, that's a lot of raucous sharing right there. Let's, let's tone it down a bit. We're in church, okay? So here, here's the problem. We all recognize the problem. The problem is Jesus is using an unethical person, doing an unethical thing, and using that as an example for his disciples. So we're immediately po- posed with a problem. How do we interpret this? Now, there are four possible ex- explanations for us to choose from. Number one, this verse means to use money to get friends. Now, what's the likelihood that Jesus was saying that? Probably not, not, very, not very likely. Number two, some people say use f- money to get friends so that when your money runs out, they'll take care of you. That could possibly be what it means, but he uses the phrase eternal dwellings. And so one, another option is use your money to buy friends, and when you do, you'll earn a place in heaven. But that's reminiscent of medieval Catholic indulgences where you were paid essentially to spring people out of purgatory, right? That obviously is not what it means. In order to understand what a parable means, a story of Jesus, there are two key interpretive principles you want to use. Number one, look at the context. What immediately precedes Luke chapter 15? Luke, cha- or Luke chapter 16. That would be Luke chapter 15, And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three back-to-back stories. He tells a story about this guy who has 100 sheep. He's up there on the mountainside, and he realizes when he goes to count, he's missing one. And so he leaves 99 of the sheep unprotected and goes looking through the ravines for that one sheep because that one sheep, Jesus said, is just as important as the 99, that one person is unprotected, but the 99R2, the one is just as important. Then he tells a story about this woman who breaks apart her entire house looking for a quarter. Then he tells the story about this guy who has two sons. One is a very well-behaved, respectable son, the older one, and then the younger one goes off to Vegas and blows all of his money. Unlike what was um, considered appropriate for Jewish men at the time, because they would have a skirt, when he saw his son running, or when he saw his son walking in the distance, he ran to him very immodestly, running to him, picked him up, and he grabbed him and said, My son is found. My son who was lost is now found. And the point that Jesus is making is that three very, very valuable things are lost in every single one of these stories. And God will rip apart heaven and earth to find you. Because you matter to God. You matter in the eyes of God. You're important. God will rip apart heaven and earth. He will literally come in the form of a human being to save you. So then, in chapter 16, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, how, what does that mean? Now, the, what you also have to do when you're interpreting a, a, a parable, you have to ask yourself, always find the central idea of a parable. What's the central idea? In the central idea, here's a story about a man, and in a typical Jesus style, he uses a non-Christian who was wrong in his actions, and he uses his shrewdness and money so that when he's lost his job, he will be welcomed into their homes. That's why the, pro, the probable interpretation is this. Jesus is telling us to use your money to help people follow Jesus and those people will greet you in heaven one day. Do everybody get that? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that you, when you essentially, you're going, you're going into heaven and the doors of heaven are opened up to you, you will see people there that you have given money to help be there. G.S. Graham says this, look at your life, as you will see it on eternity's morning, the second after you die, when your life will be all behind you. What will you and I count on eternity's morning? Money? No, that will be gone. Never to come back again. Position? That will have passed away forever. Pleasure and ease? They too will, be, will have gone. But there will be two things which we shall value with all of our being on eternity's morning. The first is to know that we have done his will with our lives, and the second will be to know that there are precious souls standing around the throne on the solemn morning that God used us to have a share in winning. I don't know if you know this, there's nothing getting over to the other side but people. Jesus said this in the very first passage that we look in the first part of the series: "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on Earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The only thing that you store up in heaven, people. You can't take your cars to heaven. That's good for me. I hate taking care of cars. You can't take your microwaves or refrigerators. You can't take your 401Ks. You can't take your homes or your second homes or your beach homes or your golf clubs or your clothes that are packed into your closets or the stuff that's piled in our garages. We're not going to take our offices, our patio furniture, and thank goodness for a lot of you, your cell phones. You're not going to walk around heaven doing this all the time for all of eternity. The only thing that's going to show up in heaven is a person completely naked, completely naked. Hopefully, we're going to be like our 16 to 18-year-old bodies. Hopefully. (laughs) Dear Jesus, yes. We want that. We want that. The only thing that breaks through the other side is a person. And the only way people get to the other side is through you and I sharing the gospel with them that they can actually spend eternity with Jesus. And we're going to use our resources to pull them together to reach these people. I don't know if you've seen this little tag that we have in different places around our church, 2382 over 3,000. And what this means, we don't make a big deal about this, but we're simply saying since the start of our church, there have been 2,382 people that have come to Jesus in our next prayer that a lot of us are praying at 3 o'clock is that we would reach the number of 3,000. We don't make it a big deal of, of talking about numbers But I will tell you that the average church in the United States has 85 people in it, and they've seen one person become a Christian over the last year. And that person that became a Christian was a kid of someone that was attending. Which is great, because our kids matter too, don't they? Our kids matter too. But they're not making any inroads into the community. In the last 18 years, you have made this happen by serving By inviting, by sharing, and by giving. Your faithful giving has made that happen. And so when you go to heaven, you're going to have a conversation with Jesus. And he's going to look at you and smile at you and say, Hey, I wanted to show you something. And he's going to show you all of the people who are in heaven because of what you have done with your worldly wealth, using it and giving it to extend the kingdom. The first week of this series, we talked about how Jesus taught no one can be the slave of two owners. You have to choose who you're going to be a slave to. The Apostle Paul, his favorite way of describing himself, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. And so Jesus finishes this parable by saying this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Jesus is like, listen, If I, I want to funnel money to you but if I can't trust you with just a little bit, I'm certainly not going to give you a lot. But those of you who are faithful with a little bit, he adds a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more because he knows we're not going to waste it on ourselves storing up possessions on earth. We're going to become funnels through which he can give. Um, This is essentially what the Bible talks about when it talks about tithing, giving the first 10%, that everything that God gives us, back to him. The problem with tithing, and we believe it, the problem with tithing is a communication issue. We talked about last week that we don't think in terms of percentages, we think in terms of payments, don't we? So what I did last week is I put up on the screen a list of average payments that people make in this year. I want to share that with you again. The average cell phone payment is $80 for an individual, two hundred and up to $250 or more for a family plan. I don't, how much do you pay for your cell phone? Cable and internet, roughly 150 to 225 And if you're a real sports fan, you're up to 300 Electric, minimum $183 a month right now for Pico in this area. A new car payment, a national, the new national average for new car payments in 2018 is $550 a month. How much do you devote in your family for car payments? And the average mortgage in this area is anywhere between twenty-one hundred to four thousand and up. So here's the question: If Jesus was here talking about money, he would certainly teach tithing, but he would start with giving the specific examples, I believe, and he would simply ask a question: Am I more important than your cell phone payment? Am I more important, Jesus would say, than your electric bill? If I am more important than your car payment, if finding people and helping them go to heaven, is that more important than your car payment and your mortgage? And then he would simply ask a question. Over the last month, did you actually show that? Where does Jesus rank in terms of our financial priorities? I want, to show, I, want to, I want you to take a look at this family who wrestled with this very idea and the solution that they came up with. Take a look.
1: So I'm Matt. And I'm Lisa. We're the Gibbous family. I think it was April of 17, um, just before Easter, I had made the decision to, to go to church after being absent from the church for a very long time. And I told you that I was good with that, but I got to choose where we go. And I think after you said that, I rolled my eyes, didn't I? I'm pretty sure you did. Kind of like normal but I remember coming through the door and it wasn't just one person standing there saying welcome it was three or four and just just the feeling it wasn't like they were standing there because they had to it's because they wanted to be there made you feel very very welcome and I remember walking into the lobby and looking around and oh coffee I could drink some coffee (laughs) I was thinking the same thing too (laughs) The music music. touched me in a way I can't even I can't explain it Mm -hmm. And then as you listen to the service It wasn't old school service It was very relatable to my everyday life Yes And that's what hooked us So then November comes around And Brian presents a challenge Yes, he remember did. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Okay. That, that caused some uh, conflict. There was I There remember. was some conflict. One of us was very much on board, and one of us was on the fence. I was on board, just for the record. I agreed solely because I believed it was the right thing to do, and I needed to trust my faith that we were going to be taken care of. And boy, were we ever. Six months later... I received a a promotion that I never, we never expected. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that's because of my faith. And prior to this, uh, Lisa and I um, were divorced. Um, We were uh, just... Dead set against marriage. Dead set against marriage. Never going down that path again. (laughs) And then dis... December December rolled around December rolled around and I proposed Yes And December was also when we looked at each other during sermon And decided to get baptized And decided to get baptized You can't recreate the emotion and what went through us that day
0: So I want to ask the ushers to come down. So last week, um, we issued uh, what we call a tithing challenge. And for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, we wanted to do that again because this is the last week of this series. I want you to notice Jesus' teaching, those who have been given little will be given more. Those who have, even what they have will be taken away. And that was played out in their story and the story a hundredfold in this congregation. Our finance team was given the permission by our leadership team to issue again a 90-day tithing challenge. And what this means is we recognize how hard it would be to take the first step, to step out on faith and say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to begin tithing. And I believe that God's going to bless, but man, I just don't know how I would do that. So, what we want to do is we want to take away the fear and simply say, if you're willing to step out in faith and tithe for 90 days, at the end of 90 days, if you don't believe God has kept his word and blessed you, then we will refund every single thing that you gave during those 90 days. Now, there are two boxes at the top that I want you to see with the cards. The first is for those of you who are willing to take the 90 day tithing challenge, I want you to check that first box where it says, I want to test God's faithfulness by accepting the 90-day tithing challenge. And there are some requirements in there. It has to be in writing and filled out. And you can't say, I want every, everything that I gave. I want, I want that $7 million gift that I gave back in 2013. None of that. It's just everything that's given during the 90-day tithing challenge. So if you are ready to take that step and see God bless you in, in accordance with his word, I want you to go ahead and I want you to check that box. The second box is for people in the room who are like, listen, I already do this, but I just want to affirm that and check that box. Now, I know that there are some people here who are younger in your faith where you're thinking to yourself, ain't no way in Hades I'm doing that. Okay? And what I want you to do, since you, since you have already decided you're not going to be a part of the 90-day tithing challenge, what I want you to do is I want you to fill out this card And what I want you to do is I want you to write down cell phone payment somewhere on the card and circle it. Because I want you to tell Jesus, hey, you know what? I'm not there yet, but I want to take that step. Now, you can't participate in the 90-day tithing challenge, but I believe God will bless that. So maybe you write down electric payment, and what you will do over the next 90 days is you will match what your electric payment is over the next 90 days. Or you put car payment. Or mortgage payment. The goal as a disciple of Jesus is that we grow until Jesus is the biggest thing that we give our money to. And then that's what a tithe is. Everything first goes to the local church. Everything beyond that can go to whatever. Our capital campaign or to other mission work around the world. That's what is an offering. A tithe goes to the local church where you worship. The offering goes anywhere else you please everything beyond that so what we're going to do is i'm going to give you a moment to fill this out and then after we're done we're going to fold these i don't want you to show this to anybody else and i want to you're leaving today i want you to drop it in the bowls this will go to our finance team our executive pastor will send you an email tomorrow confirming this and if you have any questions you can talk to him so let's go ahead and let's fill this out. let's take these and let's just pray over these God we want to thank you so much for the willingness of so many people here in our church, so many people last week and now this week to say we're all yours we're all in we want you to take what we have we want you to use it, we want you to change lives God we pray for husbands who don't know you, pray for wives who don't know you, we pray for kids who don't know you pray for neighbors, we pray for coworkers, we pray for parents, we pray for friends. We pray God that as we pull these resources, that every single penny would be used wisely to reach every single person in this area. God, we thank you for the missions that you are going to bless through this giving in India. We thank you for the missions that we have in Panama coming up, that you bless through this giving, in Haiti, throughout the world, in Africa, all the different places where this church has reached. God, use and bless the money that is given, but I pray that you would also bless the givers so they would know your faithfulness and they would know your blessing in a power, powerful way. And we look forward to seeing what you're going to do with this. In Jesus' name.
1: Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information
0: and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.